Welcome to the Goal In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and today on the show, we have Henry Duss. Henry has been an entrepreneur and in business since 1991. Over that time, he's ridden the ups and downs of the economy, there's no doubt about that, as well as business relationships over a series of different companies. Henry's pragmatic and practical approach to business and life is fun and it's really inspiring as well. And I know that you're absolutely going to love this interview. Let's get started. G'day everyone, I trust that you're well and things are safe in your part of the world. All's well here in Sydney and I have to say, as I talk with my mates in business and the folks from the various net different networking groups that I'm part of, that things are starting to become the new normal. People seem to be really adapting to the new COVID situation that we find ourselves in. They're creating new products, new services, and they seem to be finding really new and inspiring ways of engaging with clients. And my hope is that the same thing is happening for you, the listener in your part of the world. Beyond all the podcasting I've been doing lately, I've been really pumping the Go All In Masterclass. There's been a whole lot of people that are wanting to go all in and they've joined the masterclass that I've created. So if you'd like to find out some more about that, you can hop on over to goallin.com.au forward slash masterclass. Now, if this is your first time here at the Goal In Show, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you're back for more, welcome back. As I like to say, we love our repeat offenders here at the Goal In Podcast. Before we get into the show today, just take a little peek at your phone and hit the subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll on down and hit the subscribe button there. And don't forget to ring the bell. That way you'll always have some motivation and some go all in love right there in your pocket. Lastly, if you like what you hear today, please share this episode with your friends and your family. Henry has a really important message to share. And if we can help just one person to break through their barriers and to get unstuck, then Henry and I would have done our job here on the show today. Alrighty, let's get into this. Henry Das is a serial entrepreneur. He's a business owner and a financial coach. He's also a screenwriter. He's an avid traveler, a golfer, and a tennis player. And he has a great quote on his website, and he says, if you're going to spend the rest of your life working for some asshole, it might as well be you. Now, you probably know there are no barriers to entry as a business coach. Anyone can hang up their own shingle and have a crack at it. But Henry is very, very different from these folks, as you'll soon hear. He's got over 30 years of real world experience. And he says, I stand for professionalism above all else, but I also want to be fun and as stress-free as possible because life is short and it's whoever has the most fun wins. This is certainly a fun and wide-ranging interview, and I know you're going to love it. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Henry Das. Henry Das, a welcome to the Goal In Podcast. It's great to have you here, mate. Nice to be here, Robert. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to this one. It looks like you've been in this coaching space and been in business for a long time. And one of my favorite things to do on the Goal In Podcast is talk to really experienced business owners and coaches. Uh, but before we get into any of that, let's get to know you a little bit. Why don't you share with the audience where you're from and how you got into all of this and how long you've been doing it for? All right. Perfect. Uh, so, uh, I have been a, an entrepreneur. I started my first company in 1991. So it's almost 30 years. Uh, I've had five, six, seven companies. I've kind of lost track of it. Uh, I've been doing the coaching for a little less than 10 years. 
Um, about I'm 61 years old, so about the time I turned 50, I started to think to myself, uh, how can I leverage my uh, my entrepreneurial experience and help others? And coaching seemed like a natural calling. So, yeah, very nice, very nice. And where are you from? I was born in Brooklyn, and I've spent uh, half my life in New York and half my life in New Jersey. So oh, right nice. now, I'm in New Jersey. So, very nice. We're looking to we're looking to move out west, but we don't want to do that right now. Not just yet. And for the for the people listening and watching, are you all safe? Is it all good where you are? Everything is 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 a okay. People are wearing their masks and maintaining their social distancing and. You know, our, our cases here in the New York metropolitan area have at least stabilized. Uh, so that's the best we can hope for. Yeah, that's good news. Good news. And, and tell me, has the pandemic impacted on your business? Has that been a bad thing or is most of what you do online anyway? I do stuff online. I've had clients all over, everywhere, but every continent except for Antarctica. <laughs> I did lose a couple clients, uh, which was not unexpected. In fact, um, I've said this in the past on other podcasts, uh, if they hadn't fired me, I would have fired myself because you need to keep your head count. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I like to think of myself as an essential item as a coach. Yeah. But when, um, you know, the fit hits the shan, as we like to say, uh, mm-hmm. you got to look to reduce costs. Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah, there's not too much you can do about it, right? You just got to kind of roll with it and make that happen. Had you made the transition to digital long ago or is that long something ago? That's yeah. Yeah. Zoom was normal. It was like people were, people were, uh, were like, uh, Henry, what's this Zoom thing people are talking about? It's like, <laughs> seriously, uh, your age is showing. Um, now I've, uh, I've had, I've had folks in Australia and Thailand, Tokyo, South Africa, um, all over Europe. Um, all we got to do is manage our time zones, right? It's 7 p.m. for me, so it's probably tomorrow morning for you. Yeah. Perfectly fine. And, and what about from a client perspective? How is that impacted? How is the pandemic impacting on them? Are they still able to pivot and to adapt? Because I've heard some great stories in and around here, just in Sydney, just with the other business owners that I know of the adaptability and people shifting to new products, new services, new things, and keeping the staff and some people even hiring staff during a time where you think that it's a really soft job market. Yeah, what I did back in April was I opened my coaching practice up for April, May, and June, free of charge to anybody who wanted. And I put it out on on some of my networks, and I put it out on LinkedIn. I had uh, 87 calls with 50 different people. Wow. I would say 90% of them got hit pretty hard. 10% Yeah. 10% of them, their, some of them, their businesses doubled or tripled. But the mm. vast majority was, okay, my, my business went from, from being really nice to zero overnight. What do I do? And, and the first question I asked everybody is, how are your personal finances? Mm. Meaning if this lasts till, say, the end of 2021, I know it's going to be hard, but is it doable? And, and almost everybody said, and I've taken people at their word, that, uh, yeah, yeah, me personally, me and my family, no one's going to starve, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll have a roof over our head because that's the most important thing. Got to take care of your nuclear family and yourself before you start worrying about everybody else out in the world. 
Yeah, yeah. Great advice. Really, really great advice. I've seen the same thing as well, you know, like seen businesses just crash because the, the government said nobody's going outside, you've got to stay at home and the shops are just closed. So yeah. they just have no foot traffic coming in or anything like that. My, but, my wife's business in Manhattan, she has a, a picture framing business. She was closed for three months. Yeah. Nothing so just now getting back to business. So <laughs> Yeah, good, good. Oh, well, that's good. It's all opening back up and it's all happening as well. Is it going back to normal in New York? No, oh no, no. not really. <laughs> well, it's a combination of factors. Um, uh, all the people who had money, and let's face it, if you, uh, uh, it's probably very similar in Sydney. If you want to live in New York City, and I lived there for 25 years, you need to have money. And a lot of those people had, had other homes. I had friends who had homes in Connecticut or the Hamptons or upstate New York. They all fled. I was in the city two weeks ago, and... Uh, it was a ghost town. I could park anywhere I wanted to park. It was actually <laughs> kind of nice. Um, that will end as soon as school kicks back up again. People yeah. are going to have to come back. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that will that will get us more towards normalcy and street level businesses being open and and stuff like that. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's good news. It's good to hear uh, from your perspective on the other side of the pond there, what's actually happening and appreciate you sharing that with the audience here and give you a little bit of an update. It's uh, kind of cool. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Henry, people come on over to the Go All In podcast, mate, to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Well, before I do that, I have to say I love the I love the all inness of you. <laughs> About five years ago, my coaching mentor, a guy named Dave Dave Buck, he pitched me on this idea of you as a coach, you got to go all in with your with your clients. Yeah, I call it a Jerry Maguire from the movie <laughs> moment, you know, where he does his. I said, "You're Jerry Maguire, you know, uh, you're Don't giving me the this." I said, you're, you're out of your gourd. Well, five days later, I had a strategy session with a guy. I pitched him on the all-in coaching thing. He signed up in 10 minutes. Where do I sign? When do we start? <laughs> and I sent Dave a nice little note, like, you're a mad genius. I will never doubt you again. So, so, uh, so I'm with you on that. And part of what I, I, I brand myself is, is as an all-in coach. Mm -hmm. right? And I keep a small... A small book of clients. I tried to stay between eight and 12. I've had as many as 15. It's a little bit overwhelming. I like that. It, it means my business isn't scalable, but that's, you know, that's a, that's a story for another day. But I love working one-on-one -on -one with people, mm -hmm. um, diving really deeply, most importantly, into what makes them tick as an entrepreneur, right? Why did you do it? Why did you leave the comfy confines of working for somebody else where they had all the stress and decide to do this to yourself? I mean, you got to ask yourself that fundamental question. Mm -hmm. um, why, and, did, uh, why did you do it? Why, why, did, you, why did it happen for you? Uh, I, I grew up with a family of, of professionals. Everybody in my family were, were uh, either doctors or lawyers or business owners. It's kind of what I saw. Mm -hmm. um, I also knew enough about myself that um, I was never, was, never going to be a guy who, who was going to just walk in a straight line in a business. I'm too <laughs> much of a, of a gadfly and a maverick. This is a little profane, but this is a quote that I use all the time when people ask me. I said, well, look, if I'm going to have to go work for some asshole, it might as well be me. <laughs> That's true, right? It's absolutely right? true. It, it really is. So I knew that early on. 
but I like to probe into other people and say, hey, what, what was the motivation? I mean, were you running to something or were you running away from something? Were you bored? Mm. Or did you just have a light bulb moment where you said, this is a really great idea. Nobody else believes in it, but I do. And so I'm going to do it. Mm. Right. Those are great stories. I love those. Yeah, absolutely. Is it, was there a time with early on in your business where it was in like an all or nothing proposition? I mean, most business owners have been faced with those circumstances and those situations. Is there something that stands out in your mind where it was, I've got to go left or I've got to go right. I can't stay here anymore. And one of those decisions is going to be the right one. And one is going to end me. Well, what was interesting is I started my business as a solopreneur. I had a guy who was a college friend of mine who was feeding me deals. I did it as a side hustle for about 18 months. I'd done about $600,000 worth of business. And I looked at my wife. This is back in the 19, you know, 1991. I looked at my wife and I said, I'm going to quit my $60,000 a year job with the New York Stock Exchange and its gold-plated uh, benefits. And I'm going to start a business. <laughs> and for some reason, she agreed. She said, okay, if that's what you want to do. Yeah. And then... I partnered with him, but it was one of these weird kind of partnerships where he was, he was half in partnership with me, but he wanted to keep his day job because he knew we weren't going to make much money. And that first year we made 12,000 bucks each, you know, a thousand bucks a month. Yeah. And then about two years into it, I gave him an ultimatum. I'm like, you gotta, you gotta choose. It's either mm. me or them. Mm. You decide I'll, if I have to go solo without you, but like I often say, you can't be half pregnant. It's like one or the other. <laughs> and he was not happy about that, but ultimately he did. He did, he did that. Not only did he do that, the other thing was all that book of business that you have, because he, he was in the leasing business and we wanted to get into the leasing. I said, all those clients got to come with me. Well, that's going to piss those guys off. I said, I don't care. Yeah. That was a, a brilliant move if I do say so, because that, that was a huge, huge, huge moneymaker for us. And I knew that. And I'm like, we're not leaving that money on the table. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a watershed moment. And, and what about for him? Was it, were you just going to cut the guy loose if it didn't work? You know, he was my best friend and it's tough. One of the, one of the business lessons yeah. from entrepreneurship that I'm sure many of your listeners learned is that it's, it's tough going into business with friends and family. Mm. There's a lot to be said for having a business relationship with a partner. That's just a business relationship. You know, maybe you go to each other's weddings or, or, you know, or, you know, baby naming or, or, you know, gender reveal, which I'd never heard of before until, <laughs> you know, I never knew there was such a thing as a gender reveal party. Uh, any reason to have a party. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you should keep your life separate. I think that's, that's important. Um, for the longevity of your business. Mm -hmm. Henry, what have you learned over the years of having half a dozen or so businesses about having business partners? I know for me personally, I've had several businesses as well. Some have gone exceptionally well and some have failed before they got out of the blocks because relationships right. just don't work. And relationships are tenuous things, you know, doing it with your friends and your family is hard. Doing it with people you don't know is hard. There's no easy solution to any of it. Is there something that you could share some, some wisdom that you've got or learned over the years about business partners? Yeah, I, I, very much like a marriage. And I've been married for 30, I guess this year, New Year, uh, January 1st will be 30 years, exactly. Wow. Um, 
So there's, you know, there's an enormous amount of compromise that goes on. Now we made a, a, a blunder when we started. Uh, we didn't have a buy-sell agreement. Our philosophy was we agreed, agreed to agree or we agreed to disagree. So mm-hmm. we didn't have unanimity, stuff didn't happen. Now that was great until about 10 years in where we were clashing over everything. Right. And that was when I knew that it was time for me to get out but I didn't have a document. And so it took, you know, two and a half years of negotiating. It was very acrimonious. It was a bad way to go about business. So, so I tell people, best time for creating a buy-sell agreement is when you've done zero business. <laughs> when you're not emotional, you lay it all out. It's not etched in granite. You can change it. You can modify it as you go along. But you really need to memorialize the relationship, whether you're going into business with your cousin or a complete stranger. Mm. So that's number one. Number two is you got to make sure, much like in a marriage, you have some, some uh, non-negotiable core traits that are in common, right? Like uh, example for my wife and I is we're all about inclusivity. We both are, you know, we were both imprinted at a young age about being left out of things. You know, two completely different lives lived, we didn't know each other, but we both have that as a, as a core belief that we hang on to. So even if we were fighting tooth and nail, and it's happened after over 30 years, you get in fights, we know we always have that and other things that bind us together. And it's the same thing in your business. You've got to find some core commonalities that you can lean on. They don't even have to be earth shattering. They can just be some simple stuff that you can lean on when stuff gets tough because it's gonna get tough. Mm. It just is, it ain't roses all the time. It's gonna be tough. Absolutely. And, and what, about the, uh, what about the personal way that you deal with it? You know, I always like talking to, to respectfully to older guys that have been doing this longer than me. Um, because I still feel like I'm a bit of a hot-headed 20-year-old sometimes, <laughs> even though I'm in my 40s, right? It's like somebody says something and it really winds me up. But I've, what I've learned to do is to try and detach from that, right? And uh, detach my emotions from what it is that they're saying and try and get to the heart of what it is that's annoying me, particularly with business partners. I've got a couple of them now who really grind my gears. And what I've learned to do is, is to detach from that when I feel that emotion coming on. Okay, just there it is put that aside, listen to what they're saying, see their perspective and their point of view because I could be completely wrong. And if I be quiet and listen to what they're saying, maybe I'll learn something and then go away and kind of collect my thoughts like that. I've got a, I sort of, it's taken me a long time to develop that level of maturity. Some people have that just innately. That's because that, that's how their personality types are. I think mine is a bit more hot headed and you know, that's got me in trouble a couple of times over the years with people and um, you know, that's a shortcoming of mine and I've learned to dial it back and stuff. Do you have any techniques when you feel that rising, like, Oh my God, I'm going to tear your arms off and hit with the soggy end type stuff. Yeah, sure. Repeat after me <laughs> five words, yeah. right? The most powerful five word sentence in the human language. Mm-hmm. It is not about me. People it is not about you. me. Let me repeat it. It is not about you. Repeat me. it. Right. <laughs> Write it on the chalkboard a hundred times. Yeah. It is not about me. Stop for a second and ask yourself: Is what he's wailing on me and trying to trigger me about he or her or whatever it is? Is this about me? Normally, I tell no. you nine out of ten times 
It ain't. Mm. Now, I have to be careful when I do this with my wife because she'll say, don't do that. It's not about me, you know, shrinky, shrinky stuff. Yeah. You can't play that with me. But it's like, you know what? It, it isn't about me, mm. right? What you're talking about, right? If you're frustrated. So one of the, one of the, the core tenets of being a coach is active listening. So mm. stop and just listen. Don't try to defend yourself, right? Just let them vent. Sometimes if you just let somebody vent for 10 minutes, all of a sudden, the, 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 the wave has passed. It's gone. And the water's calm again. And you didn't have to do anything. All mm. you had to do is actively listen to them. Maybe interject, ask them a probative question in a non-confrontational way, and let them get it out. Cause I'm like, I was like you 20 something years ago when I was in my forties, I made people cry in the office. <laughs> I mean, I was that, I was, I was ferocious mm. with people. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not in the slightest bit proud of that at all. In fact, it's, it's, I look back at it and I'm horrified mm. by, by some of that behavior. I was letting the stress get to me and I wasn't finding ways to, alleviate that by you know going to the gym or, or doing stuff or uh you know just finding an, uh, an an outside activity to channel some of that um yeah we we all do it look we're humans yeah we get triggered absolutely so. i think it's really important in business to be able to identify what your shortcomings are i definitely know what i'm good at because i always find myself myself in the roles that I'm good at from a leadership perspective or a project management perspective. I'm good at getting mm -hmm. things done. I'm really good at that. But sometimes I'm not so good at the more nuanced things dealing with clients or dealing with uh, a, a potential problem that a client has. And what I discovered about myself, and it turns out it's actually a, a pretty common thing when I shared it with a few of my mates, um, that I really, I really try to avoid conflict. And it's not that I'm like a people pleaser or something like that. I just, mm -hmm. that client's cranky over there. That customer's really angry. Hey, you go and deal with that. And I just like get myself completely out of the way because I can. And if that person wasn't there, I don't know how I'd handle myself. And is that a bad thing in business to, to know what your weaknesses are and put somebody else there? Uh, you know, there's an old, old saying from, um, a guy named Dan Sullivan, the strategic coach who I heard speak, you know, years ago, he said, uh, if you spend a lot of time working on your weaknesses, what you end up with is a bunch of really strong weaknesses, right? <laughs> so that's um, why I don't do it. Right. Because that's, that's how I feel about it. It's like, I'm not the right person to do that. I should learn how to do that. And I should learn to be better at that. But that person's way better. Put them there. Look, look, I'm a New Yorker, so I have no issue getting in people's face. Right? Sometimes <laughs> it's just a response to things. Uh, I've done it it's certainly many times with business, with clients. I've mm -hmm. had to fire clients. I'll just tell the client, look, at, I, 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 I don't need your business this badly. Mm -hmm. right? It's amazing how that will take them off their mark, take the wind out of their sail. What do you mean? Right? All of a sudden, you, you, you shift the dynamic, the power dynamic, because these are, these are power struggles. These are classic power struggles yeah, that absolutely. you're having. Some people are just bad clients. They yeah. just are. And you don't want them to, um, to sabotage your business. Mm. And sometimes people look at me sideways and say, fire my clients. It's like, yeah, sometimes it's addition by subtraction mm. because everything fits Pareto. Everything's an 80-20 rule, right? 
you're going to get 80% of your revs from 20% of your clients. You want those to be your best possible clients. So why are you bending over backwards for a client who's in that 80, that lower 80%? Yeah. What are you trying to prove to that? Yeah. Right? No need. I mean, seems like a fool's errand. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said, beautifully said and great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Sometimes I come across a business every now and then and I freelance for a couple of different podcasts as their host, which is a hell of a lot of fun for me because I get um, a really diverse range of interviews that I get to do with people and I meet all sorts of people. And every now and then, not just on a podcast, but in real life, every now and then I come across a, a business owner who seems to be in business by accident. It's like a serendipitous thing that happened. They had this product or service, whatever it is. I can't think of a specific example now, but all of a sudden they started selling that. There was a market and then it just exploded on them and they're absolutely hopeless at business, but they're rolling in cash. They've got all these people around them, surrounding them. They're, they're not very nice people. <laughs> it's, it's just like, you need a coach. You need somebody in there to help you to get that dialed in because this could be five times the size of what it is if you really got out of your own way and, and made that happen. You must have seen people in business by accident many times over the years. Well, you know, I'm, I'm writing a business book now. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things I talk about are, are really the two tracks. They are the accidental, which uh, I call an opportunistic business, puts a little shinier veneer on it. And then there's the, um, the, the purposeful, the one that you've sort of planned out. Mm -hmm. Right. My first business, uh, I sold Apple computers. And the reason was uh, that my, you know, soon to be ex business partner uh, was, you know, said, uh, I'm having a problem um, uh, sourcing these Macs for my Fortune 500 client. You know, I can't lease some stuff if I don't have the product. I said, let me take a crack at it. And that was my first deal. Uh, I made a couple of bucks and then he kept feeding me deals. That's how I got that, that initial, that was an accidental business. I yeah. mean, he just handed me low hanging fruit. I still had to execute it. Yeah. Um, and then I learned it uh, as I went. The coaching business was a purposeful business. Probably the first purposeful business that I've ever done at 61 <laughs> years old, where I sat down and I said, okay, um, I want to be location independent because I'm pretty soon going to be an empty nester. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to rent an office in New York City like I did for 15 years. I want to be able to work from home. I want to be remote. Uh, I don't want to be responsible for, you know, a balance sheet and an income statement other than, you know, my right. little world. Mm -hmm. um, and so coaching was a, was a natural fit for that. So that was a business I did on purpose. Yeah, um, very nice. Those accidental business are very, very, very common. And yes, the guy who accidentally blows up and has huge success he's the he's the optimal candidate for a coach <laughs> but he's also probably the last guy who's ever going to pick up the phone and call somebody uh to be their coach because his ego gets in the way yeah absolutely my my uh my current business my agency is a happy accident and yeah. uh it makes a lot of money and it makes me very happy so it's a happy accident. It's a little bit like yeah. what you just described. It's location independent, wherever that type of thing. And it does well. I'm only responsible for myself. I'm actually involved in a new startup happening at the moment, which is very deliberate. And it's exactly, it's exactly as you described as the, uh, as your coaching business. So um, this thing, you know, there's lawyers involved, there's documents involved, there's the sure. foundation piece of a business. And they said to me, at first, they showed it to me and they were saying, hey, we want you to come and, and run this business. And I said, man, that sounds like a, 
a suit in the off and an office in the city and the train every <laughs> Sounds day. Sounds like a job to me. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Um, but upon reflection after a, about a month of being around it, what I realized was the opportunity that I have in front of me with that particular startup and that business is to employ a couple of thousand people. Um, wow. Yeah. And it's a really, uh, a, the scale of it is, is just enormous. And I said to myself, maybe what I need to do is put my ego aside about, you know, sitting around in my shorts and t-shirts all day, a hundred meters from the beach. <laughs> I've lived it. I enjoyed it. Maybe I should go and contribute something to society and especially in a soft economy like we're in now, you know, and the lack of jobs, right. if we can go and employ some people. So yeah, I kind of committed a little bit more to it yesterday and I put my hand up just sort of halfway and said, okay, I'll do it. And they pounced on me and I was like, oh, time God. to go all in, dude. I mean, it's, it's all in, baby. It's all in. Right. Just kind of sheepishly put your hand up. That's not how you go all in. That's, so, that's, such, an accurate, that's a, such an accurate description. I sheepishly put my hand there thinking, <laughs> and, they, and they jumped on it. It's like, it's, there anyway, you go. it's pretty good. Well, one of the, well, good for you. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I, I hear all the time. Uh, so before I was doing this podcasting thing and I had this current business, so I was in digital marketing for a long time. And even today, after being out of that for three or four years, I'm still, I still got my finger on the pulse of it because I do it all for myself and my own business. And every now and then, I help some people out. I help mates out. I don't really get paid to do it. I just help them because um, it's nice. It's a nice thing that I can do and it's a skill that I have. But one of the things people ask me all the time is for a hack. How, how can I get more traffic to my website? How do I... They're always looking for the, for the next best thing and the next solution, the next trendy thing, the next hack, the next accelerator or something like that. But the reality is if you, if you stand back from what they're asking you and you take a really deep dive and a deep close look at what their products or services are, it's like, listen, man, I can't polish that anymore. <laughs> I can't put lipstick on a pig and call it something nope. else, you know, I'm not going to polish your turds for you. Sorry, dude. Yeah. You know, it's, and there's nothing wrong with the turd that you got, but polishing it, thinking that it's going to, something else is going to, nah, it's not, not the right thing. You must have that all the time as a coach because people think that, oh, I'm going to get a coach and everything's going to be beautiful and my world's going to explode and it's going to be all of these things. But I don't know, that, is that true or is it, no, nah, man, that's just the there, beginning. You know what? I'd love to say, hey, come, I'll be your coach. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll make your life a bowl of cherries. It'll be, you know, we'll sit around and sing Kumbaya all the time and it'll just be awesome. Um, yeah, that's not, that's not really how it works. Um, and people confuse coaches with consultants, mm. right? I, I, I call myself a coach approach strategic advisor. I'm making air quotes while I do that. Something that I created after I did my year-long coaches training because I realized that uh, the coach just wasn't really what I wanted to be and I wasn't going to follow the strict rules of coaching Yeah, where – Sometimes you have to go through torturous games to get to something. I mean, if I have the answer, I'll give you the answer, mm. right? I got 25 years of 30 years of entrepreneurial experience. I got the answers to a lot of questions and a lot of problems, but those things tend to be tactical. So when mm. they're talking about polishing stuff, I'm thinking of fine sandpaper, right? But think about what you had to do to build that. The mm. last step of it is using that, find sandpaper. So people get caught up in tactical, what's the coolest hippest SaaS product, right? What's the new fair haired, you know, SEO system that we're going to use to outsmart Google, 
right? Or, or whatever the case may be. But if you don't have a sound strategy for what it is you're trying to accomplish, none of that matters. Tactics are not going to save the day. Yeah. A flawed strategy is a flawed strategy. Hmm. Nothing's going to change that until you go in and pivot that strategy in some way. Then hmm. we can talk about the tactics that you need to employ. And frankly, very often, I don't care what tactics you're, use, you're using. You know, which is better to use for my funnel? Should I use ConvertKit or Mail or Light? Don't know. They're, they're, they're both good, but they do different things. Go do a free trial with both and tell me which one's better yeah. for your particular application. Right. All I know is you need to do some, some outreach, hmm. finding a, wasting a lot of time trying to figure out what platform it is. That's never heard the team yak shaving. It's a great <laughs> term. Yak shaving. It's an old, it's a MIT guy. It's, it's sort of the idea. It's like a rabbit hole. It's sort of like the idea that you start out trying to change the oil in your car and two hours later you're in your backyard shaving a yak, yeah. right? Because you get distracted and this and that, and you go down these things it's like, stop, stop that. Just get focused on a strategy, implement it, and then see the results and pivot around it. Mm, yeah. I, I love it. Science. I love it. It's beautifully, beautifully said. The, the answer, I, I've had to develop a, an answer and a, and a patter, if you like, to the question that people ask that of me all the time because they're continually asking me about AdWords and advertising because I'm good at all that stuff, right? And, and I know how to get good returns and, and whatnot. And can you do that for me or how, how do I do that? And, and I always, yes, yes, the, is the answer is yes to all of it. But what we need to do first is make sure you got your systems dialed in properly. And after 10 years of the military and a bunch of other management stuff that I've done over the years in my own business, I, I use a system uh, created by a bunch of guys in the US uh, called, from a company called Afterburner. And they're a bunch of ex-fighter pilots. And okay. what they do is they, they, this is how we plan a mission. We don't just walk out to our $60 million jet, get in it and look at our mate and go, where are we going to drop a bomb today? It doesn't work mm -hmm. like that. There's a really nope. sophisticated system, right? So it's called um, flawless execution. And what they do is they have a, a, a couple of steps where you plan, brief, execute, X-gap, and then you debrief the whole thing that's going on there. And the flawless execution model is designed so you don't miss anything in the process. And so when somebody asks me about how do I run this AdWords campaign and get a better return on my investment, I always say to them that, hey, you're in the execution phase there. Let's just go back a little bit and let's talk about the planning phase. There's nine steps in the planning phase. Let's just cover off those quickly. It'll take us 10 minutes. We look at the nine steps in the plan. Then we look at the brief. How, before we actually go and fly the plan, we've got to brief the flight and then we'll go and execute and then we'll X gap, meaning where are we in relation to where we're trying to be and then we'll debrief it when it's all over, that type of thing. And I've really found that developing a system like that that you can use really quickly and it doesn't have to be this long-winded process in, in your business. You can just go plan, brief, execute, X gap, debrief, where I'm up to, sure. what part am I in? It's been incredibly useful for me. Have you got some tips like that or some little little hacks that you use because i would say that that is a hack it's something that you can use from a strategic perspective yeah. for execution but you can also use it in a really tactical manner as well when you're dealing with an adwords campaign so so the the book i'm writing has the unlikely title of codfish and there's a there's a whole backstory to this but codfish stands for customer support operations development finance infrastructure sales and marketing and human resources beautiful i refer to them as the seven silos so there are seven silos 
every business has all seven of those silos, whether you're, you know, Amazon or you're a solopreneur like me. Mm -hmm. uh, everything in your business fits into one of those seven silos. There aren't six and there aren't eight, there's seven. Mm -hmm. And so um, every business has an origin story that, that can trace itself back to one of those, one of those silos. My first business uh, came right out of the customer support area. My job was to support the customers. I was selling a commodity product. Why buy from me? Because I'm better and I'm going to support you better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. So that silo was full. The other silos to some degree were a little bit threadbare. So we have to work on those. And then we have to work on what I call these, you know, these synaptic connections between them. Because as your business scales up, these silos can't be silos. They've got to talk to each other mm. and they've got to operate in a, in a cohesive and a coherent fashion. So that's kind of how I'm, I'm, I'm crafting this book. And I use it in, I use it in my business, um, my business coaching, but it, but I don't do it formulaically. I just use it as a kind of a meta framework so that we can talk about these things. Um, you run the risk of playing a game of whack-a-mole where you're just solving the problem of the week in each silo. Mm -hmm. And that's not really what we're trying to do. We're trying to get it to work like a, like a working farm, you know, for lack of a better term. Yep. Um, right. We're, 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 we're trying to farm sales. We're trying to farm customer service operations. We're trying to develop new products mm -hmm. and we're trying to grow this thing. Right. And little, little, you know, um, there'll be like little, little issues that will arise. Um, you handle those as problem of the week, but then you get back to the overarching strategy for how are we going to level up? Yeah. So that's sort of my philosophy, but it's very bespoke. It's very custom because every entrepreneur is different. Yeah, of course. Of course. There's a really good book that I read recently by a, a fellow you might know him, General Stanley McChrystal. Um, he, he I know was, who he, uh, yes, I know who he is. So. Yeah, you know, that guy's right. So he, um, he was the boss of um, all the special forces in Iraq when they first right. went there, right? And mm -hmm. the book that he wrote is called Team of Teams. And it's about how the Americans went in there and Al-Qaeda in Iraq kicked their ass. And, they, and what they were doing is a really interesting part of the story. And he's like very frank about what happened at the beginning where – Back in the day, you know, you, you watched an old World War II movie and the general's got his hand on his chin and he's in the command center in the operations room and he's looking at all these maps. And um, that was the war that they were fighting because they were fighting over land in World War II and in Korea yeah. and in Vietnam and these places. But here in Iraq, it's completely different. They're not fighting over land and they're not, it's like there's these cells of people everywhere. And it's a really great story how it shows how, and he, and he goes through all of the, the things that happened, the really bad things that have happened and how they could have not prevented them. They didn't know how to prevent that from happening because they thought they were doing all the right things based on what they'd been trained to do. And pretty soon into the, uh, into the first deployment, they removed the maps and replaced them with whiteboards. And they started to try and work out who was in charge. And okay, so this guy's in charge of the network and then they draw a line underneath it and then it looks like an org chart. You know, like a corporate mm -hmm. org chart. So you've got the CEO, then you've got the COO, the 2IC, and all the people that go down on this Misi chart like that. And it does a really good job of explaining that you can't cut the head off the snake. We cut the head off the snake like five times and it still didn't work. We were still getting blown up and shot up and we weren't making any progress and it wasn't happening. And in the end, what it was, it was about uh, adaptability. 
So mm-hmm. once upon a time, everything was about uh, efficiency and productivity. So it goes right into the, uh, into the depth of where modern day management comes from and how efficiency and productivity has been the key driver of business for such a long time. But then he overlays how in a conflict, the thing that helped them to ultimately prevail and ultimately win was the ability to adapt. And it's such a good lesson for business because you still need to be efficient and you still need to have productivity and there still needs to be better ways of doing things, doing more with less efficiency will never not be important. But the, the key to success on the battlefield was adaptability. And when you think about it now in this COVID situation that we're in now, I've seen a lot of businesses really, you know, the, the buzzword in the media here in Australia is pivot. They've pivoted. Right. Now they're not making curtains, they're making face masks. Oh, that's, I don't know, is that pivoting or is that adapting? I think it's more adapting. I think pivoting is the wrong word. I, 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 I think of that as being a, a, a stopgap. You know, yeah, maybe, because they're going to go back to make good. Like, it's a bit like putting a, a Band-Aid on a broken leg, mm. um, because this is, this is a temporary situation. It is. So you don't make permanent changes for a temporary situation, mm. right? But you can, you can make a little mini pivot, and so you're not making curtains, you're making masks. But eventually, you got to get back to your core business, mm. right? That's what, that, that's what you do. When you created this accidental or purposeful business, it wasn't to create masks. It was to create curtains, right? <laughs> because you want to create curtains. That's where your core competency is. Yep. So you were able to adapt it just like they did in World War II, where they adapted uh, automobile factories to make armaments, right? Yep. But once the war was over, back they weren't making cars. armaments anymore. They went <laughs> back to making cars because people came back and they're like, we don't need... Um, uh, you know, five inch shells anymore. <laughs> we need uh, a nice automobile to take the kids to school, right? And to go shopping. Yeah. So you have to be careful about making too dramatic a shift for a situation. Now, temporary may be, my feeling is we're not going to normalize till 2022. Mm. I'm hoping I'm wrong. Uh, uh, but that's kind of what I'm preparing for. But on the grand scheme of things, uh, that's, that's a short period of time. Mm. Um, unless something else comes along that and turns this into a you know protracted um, uh, health scare, uh, I think we'll find a cure or we'll find some methodology to to minimize it. Yeah, right. So. so you it's gotta be be a, you know one eye on today, I guess, and and one eye towards the future. Maybe kind of what I'm trying to say in a very very long winded way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of ways to do that. Yeah, definitely. Well, one of the things that, uh, as I was doing a little bit of homework before this interview, um, that I saw that you wrote uh, on your site, you had some some really good words that kind of dovetailed into my concept and the Stanley McChrystal concept of adaptability was, if your business is in zombie mode and you're walking blindly towards the edge, that edge is going to come up quickly because you're not watching what you're doing and you're going to go over the edge. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there in zombie mode still and the adaptability and the shifting and the pivoting, it's kind of happening but as you say you know they're thinking that things are going to turn around in the next two or three months but they're not it's going to be at least six to 12 months before it actually happens what would you say to somebody that was maybe in zombie mode to give them maybe a little bit of a slap around the chops and wake up (laughs) other than shoot him in the head and put him out of their misery (laughs) i mean it's funny i wrote something i write a i write a a bi bi monthly because i wrote a book on financial 
intelligence. And so I write something I call it the DOSFQ um, update. Um, so I write it uh, twice a month. And I wrote something maybe two newsletters ago about zombie companies, right? There are zombie companies. There, 20% of the publicly traded companies in this country are zombie companies. So, so what does that mean? That means that they have so much debt load mm. that every nickel of profit that they make goes to service their debt. Crazy. So they technically make no money. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's mind-numbing. If you are in zombie mode, you, you got one or two choices. You got to take a cold, hard look at it and say, is there anything in this undead corpse that we can salvage? <laughs> <laughs> to create a real functional business. It's or funny, it's funny but it's accurate, right? It's undead. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not trying to be glib here. Yeah. I'm just keeping exactly. it real. There's, there's, um, there's no room, in my opinion, for emotion and sentimentality mm. when it comes to Great. You know, your business as an entrepreneur. You need, it's another value of a coach is, is, is for that coach to come in and take a unflinching look and give you the bad news that says, I'm sorry, uh, this patient can't be saved. We may be able to pluck a few things out of this thing, but you know, my suggestion is uh, stick a fork in it, right? And start over. That's, that's a tough conversation. Yeah. I mean, I've had to do it in my businesses. I mean, I've had, um, uh, I've had business failings. I wrote about them in my book. I had a business partner who jumped off a perfectly good bridge and committed suicide and left me holding a multi-million dollar bag as the only living partner. So I've been there. Mm. Um, that sucks, right? A lot of sleepless nights, but what choice do you have? You've got to, you know, hike up your knickers, as they like to say, and get on with it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, that's tough because people run in zombie mode for, I, mean, I have a friend who ran in zombie mode for 20 years. He finally just closed this business. 20 years. They Long ran time. In, he called it managing decline. I'm making air quotes again. That's how he described it. Well, I'm managing decline. <laughs> I love that phrase. It's like <laughs> a slow, inexorable, you know, it's like a letting go of a car and letting it drift, slowly drift into, the, into a ditch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. You don't Absolutely. want to do that. Life's too short for that. And too important as well. You know, your, your personal and mental well-being is just way too important to be in zombie mode no doubt. like that. Um, no. Maybe the, maybe the favorite uh, bit of text that I read from your website and, and I took a good look at it. It's a beautiful site, by the I way. Wrote, and, I wrote every word on that site. Although my, uh, my designer did that, that little zombie. Uh, I said, you got to do a zombie something. drawing for me. I love that <laughs> zombie drawing. It was like, I died when, when she showed that to me. I said, you knocked it out of the park with the zombie drawing. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the favorite bit of text that you had in there that, that I liked that really stood out to me. Um, I, I think maybe because it connected with me well, just from the digital marketing world that I come from and the, and the clients that I've dealt with over the years in that respect is that you say that business is half art and it's half science. And you, you've got to take, you, you can't take a mechanical approach to everything. You've got to take the, the artistic approach to some things as well. And I just really love that. It really resonated with me. Well, thank you. I mean, it's true. I was on a podcast earlier today and the gentleman asked me about my, he went on my personal site, my, you know, henrydoss.com and he saw my screenplays because I have, I have, um, you know, first 10 pages of 11 screenplays. Uh, that I've written because mm -hmm. you know one of the one of the right brain exercises 
uh, that idea. So he asked me, you know, how does that fit in with the business stuff? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'll, I'll give you the perfect example. Ever done a pitch deck? Ever watched somebody's pitch deck? Of course. Right? Yeah. I've been angel thing. You did, did that? I said, that's a movie. Mm. I said, I, I had, I coached a guy pro bono. He, he pitched me because he wanted to raise money. He pitched a group that I belong to, to raise money. And I took him aside afterwards. And I said, I got to be honest with you. Your, your, your deck, it was very nice and beautiful. It was well thought out, but it sucked. Mm. Uh, it just, it took five slides for me to know what your business was. And I said, I said, this is the, this is the artistic part of it. It's like, yeah. it's a, it's, you're telling a story. It's a movie. I got to know what genre it is within 30 seconds. If I go into a movie theater to see a, a two hour movie, I got to know, oh, this is an action movie. Oh, this is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a this. I got to know, oh, it's a serious drama, right? And then you got to hook me. You got to, you can't leave me waiting around <laughs> for slide number five before you hook me because I will walk out of the theater, right? If I'm, if I'm 30 minutes into this and I haven't seen an inciting incident that kicks off the action, and most movies today, the inciting incident is in the first five minutes. Yeah. Right. That's a story for another day. I don't think that's the right way to do it, but I digress. Um, we got to know because if you lose, you have the opportunity to get my attention and it's fleeting. The average human being has a, a attention span shorter than a goldfish. A goldfish has an eight second <laughs> attention span. So you have a minimal period amount of time to grab their attention. And then you got to tell a story, right? Incite an incident. Now give them this whole second act where the story unfolds, but you caught their attention. And then you got to wrap it up in the third act and say, okay, here's what I need. Here's the big ask. Open your checkbooks because what you've seen now is friggin' awesome. Give me your money and I'll give you a 10X return five years from now. I mean, that's a pitch. Yeah. That works. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I love building. Uh, what I learned about building websites over the years is uh, creating a click comes from intrigue and anticipation. So you build desire with intrigue because you get my attention because you make me lean in like I can't think, what, what are you talking about? And then you, then you use anticipation. And the way that I satiate you is by getting you to click or getting you to opt in or getting you to do some action on a website. And I've really... Uh, I've loved learning and developing that skill over the last 10 years of my life. And, you know, sometimes I sit down and watch a TV show or a movie or something like that. And it's just an absolute masterpiece of screenwriting. And you're drawn in in the first 25 seconds about this. Or I watched the first episode of a show the other day and it's called Yellowstone. I don't know if you've seen that show with Kevin Costner. Mm. Yeah, with Kevin Costner of all people. It's really good. He's uh, Ah, okay. he owns a ranch in Montana and he owns all this land. It's seven generations and all of that. But okay. the, the magic in, in the writing is, no joke, five minutes after you've been watching it and the novelty of Kevin Costner's worn off, like the star mm-hmm. power that dragged you there is worn off. You're like, oh, yeah, he's the one who got your fanny in the seat. Yeah, in right. the first oh, Kevin Costner. Must be yeah. good. But five minutes in, I felt like I'd been watching the thing for like 20 episodes. I felt like mm-hmm. this is like I'd, 
I already knew what was going on. I knew what this was about and where it was going. And they had these epic scenes in Montana and it's like, oh my God. Oh. Montana just, is gorgeous. And they drew you right in all the way. very quickly. Yeah. Right. Website's the same thing. You know, my, uh, my website, I've got these little arrows on my website. So yeah, somebody told me it yeah. was like, she said, I love the arrows because I would see the arrow and it's like, oh, there's more. Mm. Right. Cause, cause my website's very, very wordy. Cause I'm a writer. Mm. Right. Some people have said it's too wordy. You need more images and video. It's like, ah, you know what? I'm a my word website. guy. <laughs> but you know what? It's not your website. It's my website. And I live and die by it. Mm. Um, and it's like, she's just, oh, I hit the next arrow. And then I got another nice little, little snippet there. And by the end of it, she said, I had a pretty good idea of who you were. Mm. And then I had a conversation with her and she said, yeah, your website matched our conversation. Yeah. I said, great. I, 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 victory, you know, that was the goal of the exercise. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is it's all got to be you and it's got to be authentic. Yeah. Um, and if you like me, great. And if you don't, you know, good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's a coach. A beautiful, beautiful phrase, half art and half science. I, I really mm -hmm. like that. Uh, Henry, I can't let you leave the Goal in podcast without you telling me a little bit more about your book about financial intelligence. There's a lot of books out there on a similar topic. Tell us about your one and, and why yours is different. Um, it was something I always wanted to do. I always wanted to write a book. I always wanted to, to write something. I actually wrote it initially as a course. Um, I was at a conference in Bangkok with a bunch of entrepreneurs and a bunch of coaches at a mastermind table. And I said, you know, my big, hairy, audacious goal, my Jim Collins goal was I want to you know, build this course and share my knowledge on 40 years of money. And they sort of looked at me and it's like, well, you know, you're not getting any younger, dude. These people are all like 25 <laughs> years younger than me. You might want to get on that. So, um, so that's what I did. I came back from that conference. I was totally energized. I wrote it in less than two months. I tested it with a bunch of people and then I was all ready to go to market and people said, Hey, you know what? Just make a really good book. Uh. So that sent me down a rabbit hole, yak shaving, you know, hiring a copy editor and doing all that stuff. If you've ever read a book, uh, if you've ever written a book, it's an enormous process, just getting yep. cover art and, and doing and I DIY would it and, and I published it myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very proud of it. I mean, I have 250 infographics and it really covers my tagline is from your first savings bond because written here in America, it's like the first thing you get. Most people get when their babies is someone gives them a hundred dollar savings bond. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a 30 year government bond um, to your last will and testament. Right. I wanted to cover anything and everything. And I built it as a course that I teach over 20 weeks. I teach it one on one. Even though the reason I wanted to do the course was to, was to create something scalable so I could do group coaching. Mm -hmm. But then I was drawn back to the one-on-one -on -one coaching because that's really like my love. Eventually, you know, if and when it takes off, I'll do, I'll do group coaching. But the goal of the exercise is to change people's financial lives, right? We're taught nothing. I don't know what it's like in Australia in schools. They'll teach you. I took three years of calculus, algebra, geometry. I took nothing about how to balance a checkbook, right? Or <laughs> how to read a stock chart or yeah. what the difference between a municipal bond and a, and a um, corporate bond is. Yeah. You so you come out of school here in America with $50,000 of debt, mm. right? And you're trying to get a job and you're trying to keep your head above water and you know nothing about money. And now you have this short period of time, maybe 30 to 40 years in the workforce, and then you get to be 65 years old 
and you're going to retire and social security is going to pay you three grand a month, nothing, which which barely matches the poverty level. Mm. So all of this is a disconnect, right? So my idea was write this book, build this course, and I will teach you to, to manage and grow your money for the rest of your life. Mm. It's a pretty good deal in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that, and what, what was it like when it came out? Were you like, Oh my God, thank God that's over. Or I was cried it like- when I opened the hard copy of the book, I, I, I literally did. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I, I even just thinking about it, it was like, gives me chills. I was just dumbfounded. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's a book. Like that could, that could go in a library and somebody could be in a library and actually get that book. And it's got my name on it. You know, my great grandchildren cool. will read that book. It was in, powerful awe-inspiring moment Very nice. um but i now and now i give it but i give it away i give oh. it away for free it's on amazon it's on book baby but if you go on my on my site because i learned a valuable lesson that the only one who makes monies from books are stephen king jk rowling and jeff yep. bezos right <laughs> superstar offers authors whatever i mean yep. if you're a nobody like me a, just a guy in his basement in new jersey I don't have the marketing dollars. I self-published it, which might've been a mistake, um, but I'm okay. I'll, I'll live with that. When I write my codfish book, I'll, maybe I'll go see a publisher. Mm-hmm. Now I have a, a previous thing. Um, I just want people to read it. Just read the thing. So I give it away and people read it. And it's like, it's 432 pages. Yeah. And somebody complained it was too long. It's like, I can't do anything about that. My newsletter was too long at three pages and my website's too long. It's like, <laughs> I got a lot of stuff I want to share with the world. It's going to be long. <laughs> what can I tell you? Beautiful. Well, Henry, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Goal In Podcast, mate. It's, uh, it's great to get your insights and, and see your view of the world. And I think the listeners and the viewers definitely would have uh, got that. They would have received those insights and your view in and around coaching. I'm not going to let you leave the Goal In Podcast without putting you in the Goal In Podcasters Club seat. Uh-oh. A little bit of fun before we close out the show here. I don't know about you, man, but I've been stuck in this, uh, this apartment. I live in a bit of a bubble here in Australia, in Sydney. You know, I'm 100 metres from the beach. I can't really complain. But I do love to travel, and I love to ask my international guests all the time where their favourite holiday destinations are because I want to get some on my bucket list to give me something to look forward to. Oh, okay. Oh, I got lots of them. I've been all over the world. Um, uh, last summer, we went to the Greek Isles. So we okay. went to Santorini. Mm-hmm. took uh, my wife and I, we took our 18 year old son who graduated high school and his girlfriend. Nice. Uh, we went to Naxos. So mm, we visited some, some Greek friends in Athens. So mm, nothing bad to say about Greece. Fantastic place. Iceland. Love Iceland. I think it's one of the few places <laughs> that we could actually go to as, with an American passport now that we're in lockdown. Yeah, nobody right. in the EU uh, likes us. Um, they have a lot of golf courses up there. I want to play, uh, uh, I want to play golf up in, up in Iceland. So every time I see a documentary in Iceland, it doesn't look like there's anyone there. It's, it's, it's like a moonscape. It's, yeah, it's like uh, there's like 300,000 people and 299,000 of them are in Reykjavik. Um, <laughs> but it is just the, the geography of it is just like nothing you've ever seen. I mean, it is the, the, the blue grotto is, magnificent i mean the glaciers and and the uh uh, geysers it's just and the people are 
amazing, but they party hard. So, so be careful. <laughs> Watch your, You've been warned. <laughs> Watch, yeah, you have been warned. You are going to be, it's going to be one long hangover. Uh, I love Bangkok. Um, I like, Thailand is, is great. Um, unfortunately, I won't be able to go there for this conference in October because they had to cancel it. Mm-hmm. Um, Japan is a fantastic place. If you haven't been there, I haven't been to Australia or New Zealand. It's on my it's on my bucket list. Well, now you know me right here in Sydney. Come on down. I'll host you and uh, show you around, mate. There's no excuses. You know, once they free us. <laughs> yeah. Once, our, we're, once we're free. Yeah. Lockdown, those are great places. And, and of course, there's a zillion places in the U.S. So if you're, mm-hmm. you're going to come to the U.S., uh, the three cities that you must visit are, uh, I call it the Golden Triangle, because it kind of makes a triangle <laughs> on the map. Uh, New York. San Francisco and New Orleans. Very nice. Yeah. Those are the three must-see places. Mm. Yeah, my partner, she's a uh, photographer, and she goes to a conference in Arizona each year. And uh, last year, we we never quite got there, but the next time we do it, we were going to go. You fly into LA, head over to Phoenix, and then we were going to go around the world that way, like via New York, Spain, and come back around. To, to Western Australia that way as well. So well, the Australians, they do those. I had some uh, Aussie friends back in the 80s when I lived in, in Tribeca and lower Manhattan and they would come and stay for weeks. Mm. You know, it's like, guys, you know, don't you got someplace else to go on your walkabout? Nah, we like it here. It's like, of course you like it here. You're eating all our food and you're, you're living rent free. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> they were great. And there's like, you have to take us to the Statue of Liberty. It's like, I went there when I was in grammar school. <laughs> no, you got to take us there, mate. You have to. Right? So they were adorable. They were great fun. But they go on these really crazy long, year-long, you know, two-year adventures. I yeah, mean, well. that's, that's pretty pretty cool if you got the time. Yeah, absolutely. And the resources to do it. That's cool. And the resources. Next one for the hot seat. Uh, what's a skill that you're working on right now that you haven't quite mastered? Um, cold outreach. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's, that is something I'm, I'm working on right now, building funnels and engaging, you know, strangers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hate being salesy. Mm -hmm. I hate when people, and I hate is even a word that I don't like to use. Um, I like to just provide value to people and let them figure out that, Hey, this is a guy who's, who's worth getting to know. Yep. Uh, and, and it's hard because the internet is like 7 billion people all screaming, look at me at the same time. So some, it's not hard to, to feel like kind of a voice in the, in the wilderness, but I don't let it get in my way. And I, I writing all the time and generating content and putting stuff out there. Um, and, uh, and I do well enough as it is. So, so yeah. I'm okay. Nice one. All right. Nice one. Yeah, all right. Last one here for our uh, little hot seat. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Um, best piece of business advice. So I was in Iceland in two, 2008 uh, on a retreat with a bunch of folks. It was the week that the Kroner collapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was complaining to my friend, Jonathan, who was part of our group. It was about 10 of us, all guys, all entrepreneurs, about people owing me money. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, Henry, are you a bank and I said, Tony, you know, I'm not a bank. He said, well, stop acting like one. <laughs> and so I, I really took that to heart. And I'd yeah. say that to my clients as well. If you're an entrepreneur and you're getting started, 
you're going to say yes to everything that comes your way. Mm -hmm. That's just what entrepreneurs do. In fact, one of my personal theories is you're not a real business until the first time you say no. No, we don't do that. And you turn away some low-hanging fruit mm. that otherwise you would have twisted yourself to do because it was an easy deal. To, there were no, no costs to getting it. Mm. Don't be a bank, right? Do not extend credit terms to people unless you absolutely have to. I mean, if you're an FBA reseller or an affiliate, you're kind of stuck because it's Amazon, right? Yeah. They make the rules. They're going to pay you two weeks from now and there's not a darn thing that you can do about it, right? Bear that in mind because you bear the risk of that. You bear the cash flow risk of playing in someone else's sandbox. Mm. Otherwise, you need to be, I'm not talking about being an asshole, pardon my French, about it. But if I call up somebody who, who, it's amazing how many people are reticent to call up somebody who owes them money. Mm. You know, talked about being afraid of confrontation. It's like, you're not the bad guy. Mm. You extended them credit and they owe you money. Don't let them make you feel like a bad guy because you're coming and asking for money when they're 90 days late. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. Right? You were generous enough to give these people terms without even running their credit in most cases. So don't do that. Just say all deals are credit card, check, blah, blah, blah. Like I have zero receivables. People do business with me. Give me your credit card. I put it through Stripe. We're done. Um, yeah. We're done. Yeah. Don't, don't be the bank. I love it. I haven't heard that don't one before. Be and I'm going to keep it. the bank. I love it. I love unless, it. You're, unless you're a banker, in which yeah, case, of course. be the bank. Be the bank. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Henry, if people are listening to this and watching, what's the best way to connect with you, mate? Uh, if you, you can go to my, my business site is dasknowledge, D-A-A-S knowledge.com. If you misspell it, you can spell it D-A-S-S because people misspell my name all the time. I actually have both URLs just to be belts and braces. Um, if you want to see all the stupid stuff I do, like my Settlers of Catan boards and my screenplays <laughs> and, and my baseball card collection, uh, you can just go to Henry Das, H-E-N-R-Y-D-A-A-S.com. It's kind of like my little, my little vanity aggregator site. Cool. Um, yeah, that's it. It's all good stuff. There's a bunch of PDF giveaways five reasons small businesses fail. Um, my book is somewhere, click the FQ tab and you'll somewhere down that rabbit hole, you'll find a, a link to a landing page to, to download the book for free. A hundred percent off. I give a nice discount. And, yeah. and if you download it, read it because you'll start getting my newsletters and you know, there's a lot of valuable information in there. Help yeah. you with your money. There definitely is. There has been some incredible information here on this podcast today. I appreciate that. And if you're listening to this podcast, just take a little peek at your phone and all of the links to Henry's uh, website, the book, and his socials will be right there. So you don't have to go poking around in Google for it. It's nice and easy for you. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, just scroll on down and all of the links and the details are right below this video. I've got to give you the opportunity, Henry, for the parting shot, mate. The, the last piece of final wisdom. What have you got for us? Last piece of final wisdom. Okay, this is one that I do a lot, and this, is, this was a very thematic in my book. Um, uh, famous American football coach, Vince Lombardi, I'm paraphrasing him. Risk is in everything. It's the only thing. So whatever it is that you're looking at, whether it be your business or your money or your life or whatever, don't get seduced by the return on investment. Always look at what are the risks. 
mistakes. I've made boneheaded mistakes <laughs> that have cost me over the years where I chose to ignore risk or I thought I had risk covered and it blew up in my face. I love so, it. That is, I guess I should have it printed. I make snarky t-shirts too. That's another one I'm wearing my, one of them right now. Another thing I have on my site. Um, that's a key one, right? You ignore risk at your own risk. I love it. Henry Das, thank you so much for coming on the Goal In podcast, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. It's bye for now. Thank you, Robert. It was awesome. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Henry, just take a little peek at your phone and all of the links to his website and socials are right there. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll on down and all of the details are right there in the show notes. Now, if you've got a message or some feedback for the show, you can reach out via the Goalin socials or you can send me an email at any time. Just visit goalin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time. I remember that summer eve. Since then I just can't be straight. Cause this girl's got a hold on me. Can't break free.
Brasil.